Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 147 being recorded on Monday, September 24th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Uh, for longtime listeners, you may detect something different in the audio today. Jason and I are actually physically in the same room together. This only happens about... Maybe one in 10 episodes, maybe one in 20. But I am in Chicago for the B2B show called B2B Next uh, that started this evening and then is ramping up tomorrow. And I'm giving a talk about winning the away game for B2B companies. And Jason lives in Chicago, even though he rarely is here. So it was fortunate we were in the same city at the same time. It's super fortunate. I'm just finding out now that you didn't exclusively come to San to Chicago to see me, so I'm a little hurt, but uh, I am thrilled for your company and companionship nonetheless. Yeah, I came to Chicago to see you, dot, 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 and do a quick gig. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if I knew Scott Wingo was coming to Chicago, I would throw a trade show just to get you to do a talk. That's, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. We should do a Jason and Scott trade show. That'll be our next, one of our 2020 goals. Uh, yeah, if you're any of our friends in the trade show industry, don't worry, Scott's just joking. <laughs> we'll have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, it'll be within the range of six Starbucks. Yeah, it'll be good. I like that last part a lot. Cool. So I'm excited to be here um, because there's an Amazon Go store, and I'm going to stop by tomorrow morning if it's not raining. Uh, but I heard you have already been. Uh, I have indeed. Uh, I've been super excited to talk to you because I feel like this uh, – Week is just busting with exciting e-commerce news. Uh, that Amazon Go store actually opened last week, um, and I was out of town. Um, so some of the Amazon Go stores are in locations that are uh, open seven days a week. This particular one is in a, a a busy downtown area during the week that's kind of dead on the weekend. So the store wasn't open over the weekend. So today was my first chance. Uh, to go shopping and compare and contrast it to the Seattle locations. Very cool. What were the um, the pros, the cons, the differences, the similarities? Yeah. Uh, so I have a feeling most shoppers would feel um, that they were very similar to the Seattle one. As a reminder, just walk out technology. You have to use an app to get... JWatt. Hashtag JWatt. Hashtag JWatt. Uh, you have to use an app to get in the store. You cameras watch you throughout the store. You grab all your purchases at this convenience store uh, format, and then you just walk out, and Amazon automatically charges your account for your purchases. So that's the original premise. The first store in Seattle had a very visible um, kitchen, and so like the majority of items they sold were actually not national brand food products. They were like sandwiches and and, uh, meal kits that were made on site on the premise. Um, And they also, in that original store, later got a liquor license and started selling alcohol. Um, They opened a second location in Seattle that did not have a kitchen, and uh, I and many others assume they use the one kitchen as sort of a hub and spoke and deliver food to both Seattle locations from that kitchen. Uh, 
Uh, so I was really curious to see what they'd do in Chicago when they opened their first store. And once again, there is not a public kitchen. So either mm. they have a private kitchen somewhere else in Chicago and they're delivering the meals in, um, or, uh, and I, this seems slightly far-fetched, but they're delivering the meals from out of town uh, and restocking them. Um, they, I was kind of curious if they had the date that they were made on the sandwiches and they, they have the date they're best consumed by, mm. um, which most of the sandwiches that were available when I was in the store were best consumed today. So They could fly them in on that fleet of uh, Amazon Prime planes. It's at least remotely possible. <laughs> and since the store just opened, you could imagine there's a kitchen coming somewhere else that isn't live yet, or maybe it already is live. There's no, there's no like, clear evidence one way or another. Um, this store has more gondolas than the original store so there's more aisles in the store which uh since they're watching you with a bunch of cameras in the roof i imagine the aisles are a little harder to do because they potentially block lines of sight mm-hmm. um it uh, has two entrances um so that adds a little bit of complication uh, you walk through kind of a subway style turnstile and scan a qr code on your amazon go app um, to get into the store. And the very first store, when you were running the app and you grabbed purchases, you could kind of see on the app a running um, shopping cart. You could see what Amazon thought you had. And when you put something back, you could see it disappear in real time from your cart. Uh, in this store, and I did two shopping trips, um, you don't get any real-time visibility to what you're taking. You walk out of the store, and frankly, the second you walk out, it's not clear if you've been charged at all. And then uh, a minute later, this receipt pops up that says pending. And then about three or four minutes later, you get an itemized receipt that shows you what you charged. And I, I don't know why the difference, but I, but the, the scenario here seems a little problematic. You could potentially be in a cab on your way away from the store and find out you were, you were mischarged for something. Sounds like human intervention in there is, is the only reason I can think of you'd have a pause like that. You know, some kind of mechanical Turk-like check that's going on somewhere. Potentially, at the original store, um, they actually have windows, and you can see a video observation area where a bunch of guys in red shirts are watching video, and this was like even when it was an employee-only mode. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that's visible in this store. Now, that doesn't mean it's not there. It just means they they didn't choose to build a... A window and that first store is in an Amazon owned building, so you imagine it's cheaper and easier for them to do exterior things where they're just a, a tenant in a in an office building um in the Chicago store. So unclear they have an army of people watching. Uh I did two purchases and both were accurate. Uh I bought uh, a lovely just walk out technology uh technology coffee mug for my wife. Nice. Some Amazon Go chocolate. You're a hopeless romantic. I am, I am. Amazon Go <laughs> chocolate for, for Steven. And I got the BMA sandwich because we heard that's the number one skew. And I thought this would be a super exciting gourmet sandwich. And uh, Jeff, if you're listening, uh, the sandwich wasn't that good. <laughs> I was a little disappointed. Too much mayo, not enough uh, sprouts. What, the, what was off? The bread to bima ratio, I thought, was way off. It was way too much bread for too little filling. Mm, okay, very interesting. Now, it's interesting. There's been a fair amount of traffic on Twitter around people that have gone in the store. And the initial reaction is, oh, I'm not worried about grocery stores. I'm worried about 7-Eleven. Um, 
Is, is that kind of what you think with this? Uh, so I think there's two categories that are potentially at risk. One is 7-Eleven, or to say it more generically, non-gasoline convenience stores. So it turns out about 80% of convenience stores sell gas, and that's a special reason to go there that, that uh, Amazon Go doesn't have. Um, so it, it is a competitor for those stores. Um, but those, those kind of stores tend to sell a bunch of prepackaged food and national brands, and there's a little bit of that in this store. So there's national brand drinks, and there's a few different varieties of chips. Um, but the assortment like, is probably like uh, – more Amazon made stuff. It probably feels slightly fresher and more healthy than it, it sounds like an Oban Pan or whatever those are called, or uh, Mark and Spencer in the UK, where there's yeah. like, you know, kind of. So I was actually going to yeah. say, uh, like a pretty majeure, maybe, yeah. um, sort of grab and go pre made sandwich. Like it, it, it's primary where, where use. Where I'm from, we call it Pret a Manger. Yeah. It's, uh, You've got the fancy French talk. Uh, I work for a French company, so I've learned like four French words, and you just heard three of them. Um, and the other one's not suitable for our general audience podcast. Um, but the, in some ways, it feels like the primary use case for this store is office workers grabbing lunch and not being gone from their desk that long. And so you could imagine that that was the original problem uh, that Jeff was trying to solve for was getting Amazon employees back to work quicker. Um, and, yeah, so it could be the Subway sandwich that this is more a threat to. Yeah, one of the writers, so Internet Retailer is here in the city, and one of the writers uh, was saying uh, in Chicago it is a huge problem to go out for lunch. And his it's a four-minute longer walk to the Amazon Go store, but it took him two minutes to get in and out. And all the other places he walked by were a 30-minute wait. So it is, you know, and we've had arguments with uh, some folks on Twitter that talk about it's not really convenience. And then one of the things I think long-term they're going for is there's going to be less labor. Uh, but everyone that goes to one says it's got like three times the labor of any other store they've ever been in. Um, but I think, you know, I think Amazon's just staffing that early days to get people trained and downloading the app and to help kind of jumpstart it. But I think long term, I think the labor will be very low on these. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like the you are out. Customers are definitely outnumbered by Amazon employees at the moment. Um, but that's because there's some new things that customers are having to be taught. And so, you know, we, we were talking earlier, it's, it's somewhat analogous to when ATM machines first launched and banks would staff a human to stand next to the ATM and teach you. Like in the short run, that, that didn't make sense. Like why put a person next to the machine trying to replace a person? But once everyone learned how to use ATM machines, they were able to get rid of those trainers. And the airlines did something very similar with the electronic boarding passes where they had a lot of help initially. So at the moment, they removed the friction of standing in line to pay, but they had this new friction of having to download an app before you can even get in the darn store. So they have a lot of people standing outside the store in the rain helping you um, install your your app. Now, luckily, Amazon's from Seattle, so that people are familiar with standing in the rain. Um, but presumably... They imagine a future when everyone will already have the app installed and or it'll become more familiar. And so they won't they won't need all that labor to explain everything to everybody. Very cool. Um, and then last week you were at shop.org, which unfortunately I had to miss due to some hurricane issues. Um, but give us a little trip report from shop.org. What was uh, interesting there? It was in Las Vegas this year. Yeah. Your favorite city. Yeah. Uh, 
sorry, one other thing I forgot to mention on the Amazon Go that I just want to throw out there super quick. Uh, they did add uh, alcohol to the Seattle store, yep. and there's been a lot of talk. That's another uh, friction point because now you have to have another human. You know, you're supposed to just be able to walk out when you're done, but now you have to have a human when you're walking out that can check your ID. And so, you know, we've talked about the pros and cons of that. This store does not have alcohol, so yep. that that may have been some decision, or it may be that it takes longer to get a, a liquor license. Yeah, this may seem unrelated, but in my city of Raleigh. We, we're a Goldilocks city for a lot of different things because we have just like a million, million and a half people, a very digital city and all that good stuff. Um, we have all of the different kind of new transportation models. So we have all the line bikes, the birds and all that stuff. Um, and it, I've tried all of them. And what's interesting is they all have a – you have to be over 18 to use this. And they all have a driver license scanning mode where they'll scan the front uh, they OCR it, and then they scan the back, and they're saving that data as you saying, I am over this age. I don't think that works for alcohol, but I kind of think there could be some way to do that. Um, and you'd have to work with the local you know, alcohol rule people. But you know, Amazon's really good at kind of saying, all right, let's take a room of people and put them somewhere in a back alley in Seattle, not in front retail space. And just like, you know, we fly all these drones out of remote locations, why not have a lot of this stuff pushed to a cheaper location somewhere? Like maybe the people in the Amazon store that are standing around, maybe they're standing somewhere in Seattle for the Chicago store. There's no reason they have to physically yeah. be there. A, a telepresence yeah. for doing the ID check or something. Yep. Yeah. And in fact, you could imagine they use that same telepresence for delivering alcohol at some point and yeah. ID checks. And yep. yeah. All kinds of places like that. I have zero doubt that Amazon can solve the technical problem of doing uh, inaccurate age verification. Uh, to your point, uh, it, it will probably take slightly longer and be slightly harder to get the the uh, Bureau of Alcohol to agree that that's uh, a suitable approach. Yep. Um, so you'd asked me about shop.org. Um, uh, we had Sucharita on last week, and we did talk a little bit about some of the content with Sucharita. So she gave a, a, a presentation about marketplaces that was super interesting. Um, I know that's a, a topic that you sometimes have a personal interest in. Yeah. Uh, I did uh, some stuff on on the areas where artificial intelligence is actually getting traction in retail and commerce and got some decent feedback. Um but uh, one of the things that shop.org has added in the last couple of years is an innovation section. So this is a, uh, a less expensive portion of the trade show floor that's cheaper to exhibit, uh, that's enticing newer, younger, emerging companies. And so uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the show floor to walk because I'm generally familiar with most of the vendors that have been exhibiting at shop.org for many years. Um, but it's fun to see some new, you know, sometimes crazy stuff. And so this year, two companies kind of jumped out at me. Um, there's a company called Hero, um, which is really focusing on the problem of um, digital, uh, digital shoppers getting uh, the equivalent personal experience of an in-store shopper. And so uh, along the lines of the ID check you just talked about, these guys are essentially creating a telepresence solution so that store staff, when they're not helping an employee uh, customer in the store, um, can have live chats and create video content for customers that are shopping the website. Hmm. Um, so it's sort of a, a way to have a more human interaction uh, uh, with web shoppers that's leveraging the in-store labor force. Um, 
And that's that's part of a genre of omni-channel that I, I think is really smart and interesting. So I, I liked that uh, approach. And then um, there was a company called Seek. And, and we're, I suspect we're going to talk a little bit more about this in general terms later. But um, uh, Seek is a augmented reality company for mobile phones. We've talked a lot about how um, augmented reality is probably much more important than... Uh, virtual reality for commerce in the short run. Yep. Um, and what Seek is really focused on is Apple in uh, OS 12 just launched some new features that now let you do good augmented reality in the web browser, no app required. And so Seek is one of the first companies with a tool set that retailers can uh, license on the cloud to have good AR experiences in a mobile web browser without having to get an app downloaded. And I, I, uh, I think that's really smart. And obviously they're timing their company launch with the, the release of this new product last week. Very cool. Uh, and then last but not least, I think you were going to New York to go to Recode. Did you, were you able to make it to that to see Mr. Del Rey? Uh, so sadly, uh, so I, I did have a ticket. Uh, I had a client... Uh, call me in another direction at the last minute, but I did get an opportunity to watch uh, a lot of Jason's interviews on YouTube, and they're they're uploading all the all the speakers to YouTube. So if you're interested, you are uh, they're all available. Um, and a couple that stood out to me: uh, the founder of Shopify, who seems like he's sort of upped his his public visibility in the last few months. Uh, he used to be kind of a recluse that didn't. Um, do a lot of public presentations. Uh, he had a good conversation with Jason Del Rey. I had sent Jason all kinds of specific questions I wanted him to ask about Shopify's uh, uh, size and market penetration, um, which I noticed Jason didn't get a chance to ask. Um, but uh, he did talk a little bit about who's probably the marquee you know, enterprise customer using Shopify, uh, which is Kylie Jenner. Um, and if you back into some of his answers, I, I, you know, I think he, he was saying that, uh, over the last two years, uh, uh, Kylie Jenner sold $900 million worth of product on the, uh, or maybe two and a half years sold $900 million on Shopify, which is, you know, pretty good scale. We normally think of Shopify as a long tail solution for very small merchants, but that's a pretty good sized merchant. Yeah, and I think what makes it work is uh, I think it's not a huge number of SKUs, right? I think there's like 10 nail polishes and 10 this, 10 that. So I think she just has like, you know, quantity, a bazillion of 50 SKUs, which, you know, doesn't put a cart through too many of its paces. paces. You don't need a fancy content management system. You just need, you know, scalability and robustness on the checkout side. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, There are some boxes that that checks that shows that they have good elastic availability for these peak days. Uh, but you're right. Like, there's a lot of things that you would exercise in a catalog with a million SKUs in it that that uh, that particular site isn't isn't demonstrating scale on it at all. I had asked Jason if if he could ask who, who some of the big catalogs were. Yeah, um, we didn't go there, but um, it was interesting because he he talked a lot about hey, we started trying to solve for the small business um, customer, and a lot of companies as they grow try to move up market. And he, he's claiming that they overtly don't want to do that. They don't want to abandon their core market. So they launched this new product, uh, Shopify Plus, which is intended to be more upmarket, but they explicitly 
launched it with a new team in a new office in a new city and sort of partitioned it from the original offering. So it leverages the core, the core code base and adds some new capabilities and services. Um, but his premise for uh, wh- how he was going to expand their market rather than abandon the, the low end of the market to move up was to silo this, this Shopify Plus offering. And he talked a lot about how, in his mind, front-end commerce experiences are actually pretty easy, and he's a coder. He mentioned a lot of the original code he wrote is still in the platform and hasn't needed to change for the front-end, but the, like 90% of the ongoing development effort they're doing are all the post-order code and uh, uh, complex order management and integration to, to legacy ERP systems. And one of the big features they just launched for Shopify Plus is the ability to manage multiple warehouse locations, for example. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, there was, you know, I saw some people kind of kind of gasp on Twitter because I don't think that those numbers were public that Kylie had, that he revealed. Um, and she had talked about in 2017, we talked about this on episode 145. Um, so it was out there that, that they were doing, they did 300 million in 2017. So it means they probably did 450, 500, maybe even 600 in 2018. So, you know, I don't think a lot of people would have guessed that that was that big. So kind of outed her revenue. I don't know if she was uh, aware of that or happy or sad or um, she's probably more on Instagram than following what's going on. So exactly. I don't know. Yeah, she, I think she <laughs> left Twitter. So, you, so he was safe. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that was the first time I heard some confirmation from a third party source. So yeah, uh, that was interesting. Um, another talk was uh, Jen Rubio and Jen was actually at shop.org, but then she, she was also interviewed by Del Rey. She's one of the two co-founders of Away, which is a, uh, Terrific example of a digitally native vertical brand in the luggage space. Yeah, and I, my birthday present was Away Luggage, and this is my first trip using it, and I have to say I'm very pleased right now. Nice. Uh, so I feel like it gets really high marks. Um, we may need a, a product review from you. The one thing I'm always curious about is I think a lot of the way luggage has the option for a smart battery built into the luggage, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of controversy now about the airlines not letting you, uh, certainly not letting you check that, but in some cases making you take the battery out to even carry it on, which frankly doesn't make sense to me. Yep. So it's checking it. You can't check it with the lithium in there and they, it now pops out. So I think their V1 was fixed and now meaning it could it's not e- it's be ejectable, removed. So now it's easy ejectable. to pop out and yeah. put in your laptop. And that makes it a lot easier to charge too. Yeah. Like, you know, I think, you know lifting your suitcase up onto the... Yeah. Well, I'll look forward to borrowing some electricity from you at future shows that we travel together. Absolutely. Just, yeah, I've got uh, milliamp hours of plenty. Yeah. Uh, so we've heard a little bit about a way. Uh, one of her investors uh, was on our, uh, from Comcast Vest Ventures was on our show earlier um, this year. Uh, but one of the interesting comments that she made to Jason that I thought was really clever... Um, so they have a few stores at the moment, one in Soho in New York. And one of the KPIs that they have for the store um, is how many times uh, people upload Instagram pictures from the store. Um, and in a way, that sounds cheesy and sort of superficial. Uh, but as we're in this world where um, sort of assortment and low friction shopping is moving out of brick and mortar and on to the, you know, these big online marketplaces. Uh, one of the main roles for brick and mortar is around experiential environments. Um, and one of the ways you know you've accomplished uh, 
a experiential environment is when people shopping in the store um, want to memorialize their trip to the store. So I actually thought that was a kind of clever and smart metric to be looking at. Maybe we'll do a deeper dive in some other show, but there's this big trend of these Instagrammable spaces. The, uh, for example, the ice cream factory in San Francisco. There's a couple temporary ones that just opened here. Yeah. That, yeah, that along have, the same lines. I have two teenage kids, and every time we go on a trip, uh, you know, we have to include their the things they want to do are these Instagrammable places that they've seen on Instagram. So, you know, one time it was this bubbly ice cream thing, and then it was. Uh, raw cookie dough, uh, and then it was. Let's see, it's rolling ice cream is big now. So yeah, yeah, no, and yeah. so I mean, on the, the one food end, is very instable, and which is a huge part of the experience. Yeah, and that sounds somewhat uh, silly on the one hand, but it it makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know, someone reminded me in the old days, like to differentiate yourself, you just had to be unique amongst your two hundred co students in your high school class, or however big your high school class was. But these days you have to be unique amongst your 10,000 friends on Instagram. And so, you know, it, it is harder to differentiate yourself. And so these, these opportunities for uh, more digitally native shoppers to have a differentiated experience and share it, you know, makes a lot of sense. So that's a smart thing for, for retail designers to be thinking about. Yeah, the packaging for Away was really interesting. It comes in a cardboard box, which you would expect, but then the bag is in a really nice kind of a cloth bag. Um, and then when you open it, there's a whole experience around there's a little booklet, there's a global travel pack that comes with it, uh, and then they train you on how to use it. And then there's a little book about it, it's very much pitched as a lifestyle brand of you know the things you can do with your Away, and then they promote hashtags that you should do while you're going. And you know it, it's almost kind of like the beginning of an adventure around travel and, and going to see things. So it's pretty well done, you know, versus you're just like, you know, popping open a, a Samsonite or something and, you know, yeah, the little beads just fall out and that's kind of the experience. Yeah. That was, that was kind of the, <laughs> the premise of her shop.org talk was they built the brand less about talking about the features and benefits of luggage and trying to sell luggage. And instead they they start from the perspective of selling travel experiences. So the store is less about here's how to demonstrate all the things in the luggage. You you can, of course, do that. But the luggage is in vignettes of aspirational trips to Bora Bora and Amsterdam. And and it's it's really about creating demand for you having this fabulous vacation. And, oh, by the way, uh, you need this luggage to get there, as uh, m- more so than it is features and benefits of the product. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks for those trip reports. I think that was uh, some good stuff. A lot of good trips happening. And it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show without... Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. So a lot to cover in Amazon news. We talked, uh, Jason gave us his live uh, report from the Chicago Amazon Go store. Uh, and then a friend of the show, we've got to get him on here, Spencer Soper. Oh, I would uh, love that. Yeah. He, uh, he broke a story where there have been internal talks, uh, and I'll circle back on this, about Amazon potentially opening 3,000 Amazon Go stores by 2023, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and or is twenty twenty two? I think it might have been like twenty twenty one. I thought it was okay. a relatively short. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And this was funny because we've been talking on Twitter about, you know, it just feels like they're, they, they're opening stores at a pretty good pace. And it feels kind of like Prime Now when they, they decided with Prime Now it's go time. And then suddenly there was 40 to 60 Prime stores, uh, Prime Now stores. Um, so 3,000 is a stretch, just kind of getting that real estate. I've heard a lot of skeptics say it's impossible. Why would they do that? They haven't figured it out. How are they going to do the alcohol? You can't go sign 3,000 leases that fast. Um, so I think it will be – now, I – I think what could be happening here is you're encouraging the Amazon meetings to do a lot of brainstorming to write press releases from a future state. Um, and I think maybe there's some of that that kind of came up. Um, so I'm not sure that, you know, it feels like they haven't nailed the format yet. I think they probably want to get a couple more figured out, but you know, when they do want to scale these getting to 3000, I don't think that's impossible. Yeah. I'm sort of in the same boat. I'm of two minds. So for sure, like part of the Amazon methodology, when they first pitch the new idea, they write the six-page memo. But attached to that memo is they write an aspirational press release that they want to be able to issue when the thing's been successful. So for sure, there is a press release for Amazon Go stores that talks about a mass deployment. So yeah. we just opened a three thousand store. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that would that would be the exact spin. So one possibility is. Someone just saw that press release and misunderstood its purpose. Yep. Um, the the other side of my brain says Amazon actually is pretty good at keeping secrets, and they don't tend to have a lot of unintentional leaks. So the fact that this was leaked, um, partly, uh, I, I believe that probably wasn't uh, completely unauthorized, and so. Is that because they really are preparing for scale? And if so, uh, you know, I was surprised because I wouldn't have thought they nailed the format. Um, but, uh, you know, or is it potentially a head fake? I don't know. Uh, but what I will tell you is it's absolutely pos possible to open that many stores and uh, in that time period. And retailers have done it. Um, in the 90s, I worked for Blockbuster Entertainment. And we opened a store every 12 hours for my entire tenure. So... Once you get to a, a certain scale, like these things are really templatized and the, the advanced teams are, you know, just six weeks out in front, um, cutting deals on leases and everything cascades from that. And so it, it's absolutely possible if they decided that this penciled out and that they needed a big footprint of stores, um, they could run 3,000 stores by 2021. Now, 3,000 stores, if this is really competing with a convenience store, 3,000 stores actually probably isn't enough to have a real meaningful business. And now that Amazon's a trillion-dollar company, like, you know, if, if there's a million-dollar P&L for each of these 3,000 stores, like, that arguably isn't a big enough business to get Amazon to be really material to Amazon. So we'll have to see. Do you think each store is doing a million dollars? Like, what does a convenience store do? Uh, so, you got to take gas out. A lot yeah, of this gas. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to, and I don't have specific knowledge, so this is an estimate based on other types of small format stores. Um, and I, I would imagine that in the those convenience stores, there's a huge standard deviation because there's going to be some fast runners that are easily $10 million stores. But if you have 3,000, there's, there's going to be some slower stores in there too. So to me, uh, you know, a million to a couple million uh, per year for – uh, many kinds of restaurants would be 
very good. Yeah. So a million at 3,000 is 3 billion. So each million is 3 billion. So if they did five, that would be 15 billion. That's a needle mover for them. You know, so trillion dollar company, but that's market cap. Yeah. You know, their revenues are kind of in the 200 I know, but range. you never like to talk about revenue. You always like to go with the big number. Well, then there's a multiple there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, yeah. So, yeah. So that, that's, yeah, it's, that, that moves the needle. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, that would be, to me, somewhat fascinating if that's the brick and mortar format that gets scaled the fastest versus the books or the or you know some permeation of the grocery pickup or some of the other things they've done. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a new store format, we'll we'll probably talk about in a minute. Uh, but another piece of online news uh, that we saw from Amazon this uh, week or last week was this new Amazon small business storefronts. Um, and so I thought you might have a, a POV on that, but the, the gist of it is it's a way for a small business that's a 3P seller on Amazon to offer a curated collection uh, of products and have their own sort of landing page. And in some ways, uh, you'd be aware, some of our listeners might not, Amazon used to have a Amazon web store, which was essentially mm-hmm. competed with Yahoo web store and let a small business run their own website on their own URL. Um, That's not what this is. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people in the press confusing these things. Yeah. Absolutely. And so the problem, one of the main problems with the Amazon Web Store was it had the initials AWS. So so it quickly became the the red-haired, you know, AWS cousin (laughs) to the the big mama-jama cloud computing AWS. Uh, but yeah, so so Amazon used to have a thing where they would go out and run a store for people. It was the downgraded kind of technology that that you know Target and all those guys ran. Um, this to me is just really giving a little bit of content to the store owners, the SMB types, so they can tell a little bit more of their story. Yeah. Um, and they're highlighting some of them. And part of the press release was really starting to thump their chest and say over 50% of the items or the units sold on Amazon are from third parties. And there was an integrated TV um, commercial as well. I haven't seen it running. Um, so it feels like it didn't get like a huge, you know, you know, I haven't seen on NFL games or any of that kind of stuff, which are the big spots. Um, so I don't know where they're running it, but I did see the online version. So, but it is, you know, if you're a three P seller, it is pretty cool to have Amazon, you know, out there. It used to be kind of this dirty secret that some of the stuff you bought from Amazon was from these third parties. Now Amazon's kind of putting you more front and center. So it felt like a big, you know, something has changed there pretty dramatically in how they're thinking. Yeah. And so I, I've, uh, and I think you, you sort of aptly described it, but I have heard people, sort of think of it as a Etsy competitor, which is not really right. Amazon does sort of have another um, offering that's more competitive with Etsy. And then uh, they, Jason Delray did ask Shopify if they considered it uh, competitive. Um, and he had the the sort of typical competitor answer. It feels like a little bit of a trap to yeah, me. It's a trap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, uh, uh, pictured uh, Admiral Akbar. Yeah, uh, he went all Akbar on it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's a trap or not. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's very hard for... selling on Amazon, yeah. I would use it. Um, yeah. I likely wouldn't make that my only destination on the web. Like, to me, Amazon is one channel. It, for most people, shouldn't be their exclusive channel. Yeah, when you're Kylie Jenner, you can have your own store and not worry about Amazon. And, you know, Ulta comes to you, and, you know, I'm sure she had a lot of power in that relationship. But for most of these small businesses out there, 
you start on Amazon and then you're lucky if you get anyone to your website. So, so yeah, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense for, for people to embrace it and, 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 and wrap around it. I think a lot of the people uh, got it confused with Etsy because some of the ones they're highlighting do have more of kind of that homespun handmade kind of a vibe to them. Like there's this handmade candle company that was both on the front page of storefronts and on the TV commercial. Um, I hope those people had a lot of inventory because it felt like they were going to sell out of those handmade candles pretty darn fast. <laughs> yeah, always always a problem when you highlight the small businesses, right? Yeah. A couple other quick things. Uh, Amazon has been obsessed with visual shopping, um, and they've done several kind of it, things around that. Uh, so the the first one is they've had they had something called visual shopping um, where you could kind of like pick some colors and stuff. Then they deprecated that. Then uh, they have active on the homepage. If you look at the top bar, I'm always logged in as Prime. I, I think this is available in non Prime too. Uh, it'll say new and interesting finds, and that's kind of like a Pinterest. So you could put together a little you know uh, Jason's board of interesting finds of cool gadgets. Um, so it's got a Pinteresty board kind of a feel to it. So that, I've always thought of new and interesting as kind of like their Pinterest. Pinterest competitor. Uh, they have a new one called Scout. If you go to amazon.com slash Scout, um, and it's more of a Instagram meets machine learning. So you thumbs up, thumb down some stuff, and then it's supposedly going to learn about what you like and don't like. And, and you'll pretty quickly, you know, after five to 10 ups and downs, you'll get to some interesting new products that, that it learns that you may want. Um, so then, so that kind of feels like Pinterest, or, I mean, sorry, Instagram. So they've got pin. Pinterest and Instagram covered. Uh, and then the other big visual thing out there is Snapchat. And they actually just today announced uh, uh, integration with Snap where you can go and take a snap of a picture um, and then Snap will use, I assume they're using the machine learning uh, library that Amazon has for product recognition. So you see a cool celebrity, you see Kylie on your way home tonight, you take a picture of her sneakers and it will identify them and then show them to you over on Amazon, which feels kind of like an affiliate type model. So I'm sure there's a rev share there. Um, but it is pretty interesting that Snap is the front end uh, and Amazon's kind of the back end, um, which is, you know, so now they have an integration on the Snap side. So they've got kind of the three visual shopping technologies covered in a way through different business models, which is pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. Uh, the Scout thing was kind of interesting to me. I've heard some people describe it as Tinder for shopping. Oh, so you, right. Yeah. But, you look at products and go hot or not. Um, and they're broken out into categories. So, you know, you, you decide you're looking for um, home furnishings and then you can say lighting and you get five chandeliers and you say like, don't like, don't like. And as you're doing that, the, the assortment's getting curated to visually to five chandeliers that match your taste. Um, and so it's, it's pretty fun and fast and immediate and they're promising more categories to come. Uh, it slightly reminded me of you go old school on Amazon when they used to mainly sell this uh, stuff called books and video. Uh, the The recommendation algorithm was based on what you bought. But, of course, you could buy a book or, or watch a video that you didn't like. And so they, they used to have an interface where you could look at all the stuff you bought and go back and say liked it or didn't like it um, – and sort of refine your own recommendations. And so if you want to invest some time, you can improve it. In my mind, this felt like a, a much more evolved visual version of that. So that, it's interesting to try to invent new ways to shop. And Amazon's always been great for spear phishing. Um, but like, you know, browsing and discovery mm -hmm. has been the gap. So it's, it's interesting to see them try new things. And this seemed interesting. Uh, the Snap one to me... 
is a. Uh, very interesting because a lot of social networks have tried to integrate commerce and they generally try to do it in a brand friendly way. And uh, like it's not particularly brand friendly to say, and we're going to sell everything on Amazon, right? Like when, yeah. when you launch that feature, so this is like the Pinterest lens feature, which is a visual search uh, capability, but then connecting all of those visual searches to Amazon no other retailer is ever going to buy an ad on your platform. Um, and so part of me wonders if Snap was only able to do this because they sort of are in the challenger position. Uh, Instagram feels like it's getting more of the momentum. And so this was a, a, a big move Snap could make, um, but potentially at the risk of alienating a lot of other advertisers. Yeah, Snap's been under pressure and their um – their head of partnerships left recently, and he is a big uh, – he actually was an internet analyst I've known for a while. Uh, and I imagine they may have been building some stuff out, and they realized how hard the back end is. And they kind of got the front end working, and they just decided to marry them together instead of having to build all that out. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that occurred to me as you were talking about the AR stuff earlier is Amazon does have an AR functionality, and it used to be buried in the app. So you'd have to go kind of down the sub-menu, the hamburger menu, down three levels. Uh, in the camera app now, in the update, uh, you have you have your normal scan barcodes, but now you can search with photos. Um, is is kind of promoted to a very high level up inside the camera. And then also, you can do smile codes. Uh, and then last but not least, you can do view in room. So it's right in the camera now. So they've, they've upgraded the AR view in, in the Amazon app up into the camera, which is pretty interesting. Another part of this visual search is they've encouraged everyone to take out your Amazon app, just hit the little camera button. There's a lot of cool new stuff inside of there to play with now. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Uh, another big Amazon announcement, as if they didn't have enough, is they had a, a press event last week and they launched, I want to say, 14 new products with Echo embedded in them. Yeah, and I was really excited for you because I know you are really big on the Amazon buttony things. And they had an Amazon Basics microwave, and it has a button on there where you can order more popcorn. Yeah. And I just envisioned you having that installed by now. Have you bought and installed one of those? So the challenge is I have a three-year-old son that's learned how to talk to all the Echoes and would constantly be running the microwave uh, if it was two inches closer to the ground. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like it's probably a bad combination. At my, like Echo cooked popcorn with nothing in the microwave would be happening a lot at my house. Yeah. And I, I saw a lot of people scoff at this, but, you know, the – the microwave is a challenging thing. So every every microwave you come across is different. Um, yeah. And, you know, sure, if you're just going to do a minute heat up of something, that's not a big deal. But for my microwave, whenever I want to defrost something or whatever, I have to take out the little guide. And there's this complex, you know, non-intuitive set of things you have to do. Whereas it'd be really cool to say, you know, Alexa, you know, heat up this pizza. And it just kind of knows that, okay, you need the heat at 50%. And so I, so I think there's actually something there. Um, that that actually is a time saver to be able to say that to the microwave and have it kind of decode, oh, you know, I need to go 50% power so the cheese doesn't get all rubbery or whatever it is that the microwaves do. Yeah. Um, so I don't think a lot of people realize this, that it's doing that behind the scenes. So there's, there's a fair amount of complexity as I read more about it in there about what it's going to do with the voice that, that I think is pretty interesting. No, I, I think there are some very real-world use cases. A lot of the space saver microwaves don't have a numeric keypad anymore. And so... You know, now you have this awkward 
dial that, you know, is sort of variable speed that you have to use to set microwave for three and a half minutes. And so like voice is the perfect way to have a minimal um, space footprint, but still have, you know, easy, low friction access to, uh, you know, all of those uh, features that often don't get used in the microwave because they're too hard to find. Yeah. One, one I was excited about is um, in my car, I can, I can put an echo dot in there and it, it, it takes a little bit of work because I have to connect it to the Bluetooth every time. It's, it's not like auto connecting to the Bluetooth, right? Um, but it's a really cool auto interface. Um, but, you know, I don't think my OEM is ever going to have Alexa in the dash. Um, certainly there'll be some people that do that. Some people are bought into the Apple ecosystem. Some people are building their own. Um, so one of the products I was excited about was called Echo Auto. Um, so it's kind of like an Echo Dot, but I think the Bluetooth is going to be more persistent and smart and connect better. Um, but it also has, it kind of lays flat, and I think you can Velcro it to your dash. Uh, and it also has eight little microphones on top. So, you know, they're saying that it'll be able to hear inside of a car better. So that's going to be a pretty interesting auto experience. That's probably the one I was most excited about. But sadly, uh, you know, you can't pre-order it unless you have an invitation. So all the Amazon people listening, uh, I know I would love an invitation. I don't know about Jason, but ah. Jason... Jason would probably love an invitation too. Uh, for sure. Uh, without outing you for your fancy f- fleet of automobiles, I'm just going to say that uh, your OEM probably wouldn't add an Alexa interface unless and until Jeff Bezos divested Blue Origin. Could be, yes. Uh, uh, but there were a bunch of other products. They improved the core product, so they did another iteration of like the view and the dot. Uh, the view has a is a smaller footprint overall, but a bigger screen. Um, so I, I have a couple of the seven inch devices and we use them in my house. And so now the 10 feels more appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a clock, which it's an analog clock. And I, I don't have a place to put this, but I really want this. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's a traditional analog clock that looks like a standard kind of office wall clock. When you set timers, which is one of the things I most frequently do with the echoes in my house, uh, they have sort of stealthy LEDs around the rim of the clock that show you the progress of the timer. So you can see how visually how much time you have left at a timer. But the feature that I think is most cool, which is super lame, is when daylight savings happens, the hands on the analog clock actually move to automatically change your analog clock for daylight savings. You're going to be staying up. You're going to get this, and you're going to have to stay up till uh, 3 a.m. my time. Does it still 3 a.m. in Chicago, or is it 2 a.m.? Uh, I couldn't tell you because I have no analog have clocks, no. and all the digital ones automatically adjust. You're going to stay up all night watching <laughs> and waiting to see what it does. I'm like, does it just time, time does it stand still for an hour? Or it probably has to hop, depends on if we're going forward or backwards. Yes, this uh, is this is we're going to have to do a live report. There, yeah, we'll do a live stream. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The world's uh, most boring uh, life. Still nothing yeah. happening. Yeah, and to the left of it, we have some grass growing. Uh, so the, my big thing that uh, I felt was interesting about all these releases is, you know, we've talked about at CES this year that Alexa was embedded in like 5,000 devices or 4,000 devices. Um, and so there was a school of thought that they made these initial products to seed the market and they're happy to sell these core products, uh, but that they were you know, trying to be very appealing to OEMs to get embedded in a lot of other products. Uh, and so it's somewhat surprising to see them uh, expanding the line of first-party products that they embed in themselves. And arguably, uh, that could make it less appealing for other microwave ovens to license the tech, or they could 
make that the must-have desirable feature that then entices other OEMs to to take the feature. Yeah, I, I got a vibe watching the video that they were there's been a couple of microwaves actually integrated with, with uh, Alexa and I get the feeling they were underwhelmed and I think yeah. they wanted to say here's where the bar needs to be you know have it you know be able to talk about different recipes and talk about you know defrost my vegetables and have it understand that stuff and I, I think they were frustrated that a lot of the OEMs didn't do that kind of thing Yeah, no, some I- of the commands were like Alexa, run the oven at 50% power, which is, I think they were trying to make more of an intuitive leap than, than the OEMs did. Yeah, no, I think I think you could uh, have hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, I did fail to mention one other interesting product. They have a more audiophile uh, Alexa now, so you can now get an Alexa with a, a separate remote subwoofer, um, which more directly causes us to compete with, like, the Sonoses of the world. Very cool, very fancy. Yeah. Uh, I teased earlier in our Amazon segment that we were going to talk about another new retail format from Amazon, um, and that format is a pop-up shop that Amazon and Good Housekeeping just opened at Mall of America. Uh, so this is a curated assortment of products from Good Housekeeping, um, and they all have smile codes, which you mentioned, which is Amazon's proprietary 3D barcode, and uh, you scan any of those smile codes uh, to be able to order those products from Amazon. Cool. So is it kind of a touch and feel, and then you can't really buy from there? You have to buy them online? Yeah, my sense, I have not visited it yet. Mall of America, uh, for a long time, was the largest mall in the U.S. It's sort of lost that status, but it's this huge, huge um, destination mall in Minneapolis. I've uh, been there, Camp Snoopy. Yeah. It has yeah. a big, giant thing in the middle. Yeah, that's an amusement park in the middle of the mall. I, I've spent weeks Sleeping in that mall. We don't. We don't need to rehash those. Oh, we'll save that for another podcast. No, those stories. But uh, so an interesting new new partnership uh, as Amazon, you know, partners with more of these curators uh, to create you know novel new commerce experiences. Yeah. Okay. That was Amazon news. And looking at non-Amazon news, uh, I like to keep track of everyone's holiday forecast because we're sitting here knocking on the door of October. And so we Deloitte was out, uh, our good friend Casey, and they are at 17 to 22%. Uh, and so that's pretty robust with a 19 and a half, uh, midpoint, uh, internet retailer came out this week at 15 and a half. Uh, and then Sucharita was on and she talked about how they haven't formalized their forecast, but she was thinking kind of 14 to 16%. Uh, and she kind of highlighted that the, the Grinch this year could be these tariffs and there's increasing noise, even since we had Sucharita on like literally three or four days ago, uh, you know, Walmart is really kind of banging the drum and there's a lot of people out there saying, Hey, this this could be a, a pretty big headwind coming into holiday. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, there's and part of this could be a scare tactic, but they're saying in some categories that those tariffs could drive ten to twenty five percent price increases in some categories. Yeah, and it's all the dollar store. But what are they going to do? Yeah, yeah, that that would obviously dollar fifteen store. Yeah, doesn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't. But uh, if if you shop at dollar store, you'll find a lot of not dollar items already. Sorry, spoiler alert. Oh yeah. Uh, the there was another big acquisition in my world uh, on Friday. I want to say, and that was that Adobe, who's been very active lately in acquisitions. We we talked uh, not too long ago about their acquisition of Magento, the e-commerce platform. Uh, on Friday, they acquired uh, Marketo, 
which is a big marketing automation uh, platform that uh, particularly excels in the B2B space. Yeah, that was a, was a big deal. And then how do you think that's going to, is that kind of tying into Magento? One report I saw, um, so now that Adobe owns Magento, there's a lot more Wall Street people talking about it. Um, and every report I read uh, is not very favorable towards Magento, and it talks about them as a share loser to Shopify and big commerce. Um, now, a lot of that's anecdotal, so they do these channel checks, and they're just kind of hearing, you know, they'll be at these, they'll be at shop.org, they'll be at a different show, and they'll, they'll, hype, they'll hear rumblings. Uh, a, do you agree with that? And then B, is this some kind of a, are they trying to stitch together a cloud in an interesting way? Because Salesforce has got, you know, uh, a cloud for everything. They've got, you know, a, a house cloud, a car cloud, a marketing cloud, a sales cloud, you know, an Einstein cloud. Yeah. Is Adobe playing catch-up? What's going on? Yeah, so uh, in fairness to Adobe, I'm not even sure I would say they're playing catch-up. They may, depending on how you look at it, have sort of led Salesforce. So Salesforce from day one was cloud-oriented with a single product, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they you know, unquestionably dominated the cloud CRM model and eventually put a world of hurt on the, the traditional on-prem CRM folks. Um, and they've expanded to have what they now call is a marketing cloud, right? So their marketing cloud really started out as CRM. Then they added Exact Target, which was their sort of direct marketing thing. And they've they've uh, since added a bunch of pieces to the the Salesforce marketing cloud. Demandware, uh, yeah. Uh, so they purchased Demandware. That actually is a, sorry to be complicated. A second cloud for Salesforce. It's the Commerce Cloud. It's the Commerce Cloud. And so they, they've Salesforce has bought two Commerce solutions. Demandware and Cloud Craze, which is more B2B. Um, so that's in the Commerce Cloud suite. You've got a bunch of these marketing activation tools in the, the uh, marketing cloud. Adobe has probably had a marketing cloud longer than Salesforce. Um, and so uh, also through acquisition, they acquired a bunch of tools. They would put their analytics solution, their CMS solution, uh, their campaign management solution. They have a bunch of customer data products. So I would actually argue Adobe's had a more comprehensive um, suite of capabilities in what they call the marketing cloud than Salesforce. Um, one of the tools in that suite is called Campaign Manager, and that probably is not the absolute strongest product in the suite, and it's primarily focused on B2C outbound communications. Okay. Uh, and so Marketo bolsters that capability and sort of expands it into B2B. I would agree that that in general, Magento is a share loser to some of the cloud-based solutions, most notably Shopify. But I would say an area of strength for Magento has probably been on the B2B side of commerce. Um, and so you could look at that from Adobe and say – hey, the marketing cloud has been pretty successful and well-penetrated in the the big brand B2C space, but between Marketo and Magento, um, it probably bolsters their creds in the B2B space and you know potentially on the longer tail a little bit more. Okay, wow. That, that was way deeper than I was expecting. Yeah, I'll see a lot of my Adobe friends in my travels this week, so I'm sure they're going to tell me if I got that wrong. Awesome. Cool. So this was also a big week uh, because we're both Apple fanboys and a lot of new stuff out. Um, there's new watches and phones. Uh, and uh, you had a fun journey on your phone that I'm sure listeners would love to hear about. But, uh, <laughs> 
I had one where I uh, I did the whole get up at three and was disappointed because launch day was the 21st. And then I got a like 28th, October 5th ship date. But being good under promise over delivers, I got my Apple, uh, my new phone today. Um, so that, that came in five days earlier, which was exciting. And I was frantically installing and upgrading. And so I got the XS uh, Max and I'm really happy with it. It's got longer battery, doesn't feel ginormous. I feel like I'm kind of back to that plus format. Uh, I also have um, a Pixel 2, and it feels like it's almost the exact same format as a Pixel 2. So uh, it's been good. And then I also got the new Generation 4 watch. Uh, sadly, it does not have the ECG yet. It's coming soon. But the thing they did that was genius there is they got rid of the bevels, and it just feels like the data display is you know, 50% larger. So there's a lot more information on the watch, which is, which is kind of neat. Uh, and it seems like the battery life there is dramatically improved. Tell us about your, your phone experience. Yeah. Well, first let me just paint a word class, uh, picture for our listeners. Uh, during this entire podcast, Scott and I are face to face and Scott has mainly been playing with the Amazon VR feature on his giant max phone, uh, and flashing his, uh, humongous Apple watch at me. <laughs> Um, so I, ha- I have some serious Apple envy as we sit here. Uh, uh, I'm sad to say I had to replace my Apple Watch three months ago, so I did not pull the trigger on a Gen 4. I knew after I... Is your screen cracked? I thought... I, you know, screen, no, screen uh, not yet, but it may be by the time I get home tonight. Uh, <laughs> Could have a little accident. I knew after I saw it I was going to have some screen envy, and I, I certainly, just watching you, am having some screen envy. Um, Luckily, there's a 24-hour flagship Apple store uh, about 300 yards from where we're sitting right now, so I could fix it on my way home. Uh, and I don't think they're in a constrained supply situation. I think you can walk in and buy a watch. I'm oh, not. Right. Uh, Sounds like a fun uh, trip that we can report on next week. Yeah. So I got up in the middle of the night in the middle of shop.org to place my uh, iPhone upgrade order uh at the earliest possible moment. And I also pay a little bit of extra money in this uh, Amazon upgrade program because you generally have preference for the new stuff. Yeah, the Apple subscription program. Apple subscription program. And it, it actually can be a good deal. It, uh, it includes um, Apple Care. So if you're going to buy Apple Care anyway, it actually, and you're for sure going to replace your phone every year, it actually does uh, pencil out to be a. A, a decent economic deal. But the main reason I do it, I don't want to kid anyone, is because I want to make sure I get that new phone day one because, frankly, all my clients on day two are going to be disappointed if I show up without the new Apple product. You have a street credit. It says Retail Geek right on your laptop. You have to, I mean, you've, you've exactly. put the bar very high. Yeah, so I got up early, finished my pre-order, was promised a, a launch day phone. Uh, I was traveling on launch day, um, I sent the uh, and it's signature required, so I I sent a signature required form uh, to be put out in my house while I was gone. Uh, some logistics went awry on that, and the the form didn't get there. So I came home Friday night to a "Sorry, we missed you" Ooh, UPS note, which sad. is the saddest, worst customer experience. Although it's entirely my fault, it still is the most disappointing customer experience you can possibly have. Uh, your want your phone was here. But now it's not. <laughs> wah, wah, exactly. Wah. Uh, so jump on the UPS website, change the delivery address to some uh, UPS lockers very close to my house, and get it rescheduled for a Saturday delivery. So now I don't need a signature. Sometimes Saturday, 
UPS is going to drop this at a locker that's half a mile from my house, and I'll, I'll get it into the day Saturday, still in time for my trip this week. Uh, Saturday, 6 o'clock, I get the exciting note that it's in the locker, uh, uh, walk over to the locker, uh, the locker opens and is empty. Mm. Wah, wah, wah. Um, so that was very disconcerting. Uh, turns out the driver made a mistake. Uh, they delivered it to the locker uh, late tonight, and so I, I did, in fact, collect my phone moments before we started this podcast, um, but unlike you, did not have time to activate it yet. Uh, so I also got a, a, a big capacity max, and, and I'm excited for that as well. Yeah. So even though we ordered about the same time and you pay all that extra for the subscription, I got my phone earlier. <laughs> yes. I mean, the main takeaway from this whole story is Scott is better than Jason. It just luck of the draw. Yeah. Uh, but I will say uh, there were a couple things that were either surprises in this, um, more the OS X launch um, and the hardware, or that I just somehow missed during the announcement. But there's two kind of relevant features to commerce. Uh, so we did mention when the OS 12 uh, operating system was, or iOS 12 was launched, that there's a new uh, improved AR uh, library in it called ARKit 2.0. What I missed is ARKit 2.0 lets you do AR in the web browser, no app required. And so I'm, uh, that's the capability that our friends at Seek are using uh, to launch this. So in general, I don't recommend retailers spend a bunch of money on an app. Um, because there's a lot of friction to getting users to download the app. Uh, I do like AR experiences for a lot of in-store retailers. And so now I get the best of both worlds. All my retail clients can implement the in-store AR shopping features without requiring an app. So that that's actually very exciting. And then the Easter egg in the hardware is the phones that you're holding, the XS models, so the XS and the XS Max which is not how Apple wants you to say it, by the way. They want you to say 10S. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, in 10S Max. Uh, and the uh, coming soon 10R all have an improved NFC chip over the previous generations. And what's exciting about this new NFC chip is uh, it has a, a passive reader in it. So... In the original phones with NFC chips, they could really only be used for Apple Pay, and you couldn't use them for other experiences. Uh, now we have a complete implementation of NFC, and one of the things that means is, for example, a store could put an NFC tag in every fact tag in the store, and if you just wave your phone, you don't have to launch an app or do anything. You just have to have the phone unlocked. If you just wave your phone over that tag, you will go to a web page that could have uh, supplemental product information for all those pages. So now we can have NFC tags that we put in our house to, like, trigger scenes for, for Hue. We can use them for shopping. We, uh, there are all sorts of capabilities in the NFC stack that we didn't used to have. Now with this new hardware, we did. So I actually bought uh, an NFC writer and a bunch of... Um, uh, tags to start playing with this, and they came even though I didn't get the phone. So cool! One of the most fun apps, and if you look on Twitter, uh, iOS 12 I think comes with Measure, so yeah. you can go measure all kinds of random stuff. So there's all these funny pe- pictures of people measuring like their cat's tail and all kinds of interesting things. So it's a it's a cool way to experience the AR uh, with and have a lot of fun measuring stuff. 
Yeah, I will say that some of the third-party measuring apps that use it are still better than Measure, but uh, it's fun to have a native native program. Absolutely. Cool. Any other fanboy stuff? Uh, nope, nope. That was the big deal. I think there's going to be another announcement with some iPads, and there, there's probably at least uh, uh, one model of iPad on my list for that. So I'm- Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing uh, that we watch pretty closely is the stock market to see what's going on in IPOs. And there was an e-commerce IPO this week. There's a European luxury marketplace called Farfetch, uh, and they went public on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, and uh, this one was interesting. They they priced a little bit below the range, uh, but they ended up raising uh, $875 million, which is not too shabby. And the stock popped over 50% on, on the IPO day. Uh, so that gives Farfetch... Uh, a marketplace a lot of you probably haven't heard of a valuation of 6.2 billion b billion uh their revenues are about 400 million a year which you know that's a very good multiple but they're growing north of 50 percent year over year so that's why they are commanding a really good multiple there so it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with those funds they're largely european um, and focused on luxury you could imagine more international expansion uh, and maybe even a push into the u.s uh, that's what i would do were a european luxury marketplace that had suddenly found a lot of excess capital. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, this last one I thought was interesting. Um, you know, we've we've talked a lot about ARVR on the show. We did a deep dive. You and I are kind of uh, hobbyist on this. Um, and the one thing we miss in VR, at least, is that killer app. Um, so uh, I'm a big Elon Musk fan, and he announced kind of surprisingly a um, a, a SpaceX project funded by a Japanese billionaire where they're going to go on a moon travel. So they're going to go launch from Earth uh, on the BFR, the big Falcon rocket, uh, and they're going to take that puppy and circle the moon uh, and then come back. Uh, and he announced on Twitter, uh, I use announced with air quotes because, you know, a lot of, not 100% sure he's serious about this, but he generally is. Like, he, you know, when he says he's going to solve things that are not flamethrowers, but they really are. Um, they did that. Um, the boring company is real. Uh, anyway, uh, so most of the stuff that you think is a joke ends up being real. He did say they're going to live stream in 4K. You know, they're going to have series of cameras mounted on this spaceship, uh, and they're going to you know live cast the VR. So imagine a VR experience where you can you know be on the spaceship and looking around as it goes around the moon. That that would be that could be the killer app. And I'm I'm curious to see what headsets he's going to work with. And knowing Elon, he probably would decide the ones out there aren't up to spec. So maybe they'll have to be a a boring headset or a SpaceX headset or something that comes along with it. So that'll be fun to watch and kind of out there uh, pretty super geeky. You and I could be at the geekiest launch party ever for that product as we sit in a dark room with our headsets <laughs> watching the, the <laughs> moon orbit together. I'll say, and we only sold two of them, and it's the same guys that bought the Fire Phone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, it There is a retail tie in there. The, the Japanese billionaire, you know, he... I think he sold like eight seats for this first flight, and the Japanese billionaire bought all eight. Uh, he's a retail billionaire. He runs a company in Japan called Zuzu, which is like a big, uh, fast-running apparel retailer in Japan. Uh, and I think he said he's giving away the other seven seats to artists to create like art rendering the the cool experience of being in space. Very cool. They'll yeah. sell it on clothes or something, or. Uh, yeah, don't don't know, but uh, uh, like to see retailers being the first first uh, uh, tourist to to orbit the moon. 
Absolutely. Uh, and with that, uh, it has happened again. We've ran out of time, even on our extended length in person podcast. Uh, but in the highly unlikely event, you didn't get enough of Scott and I uh, on this episode. Uh, jump on a Facebook and let's continue that conversation. And as always, uh, if you enjoyed this episode or just to put us out of our misery, now would be a great time to jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review. You know who I'm talking to. You're the last listener that hasn't done it. Now would be a great time. Thanks for hanging in there, everyone, and we appreciate you uh, staying for this marathon Jason and Scott show where we got to cover a lot of fun topics. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Absolutely. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.